Travellers and welcome to podcast 75 in our series You Should Have Been There with me Simon Calder and me Mick Webb and today we're going underground talking about the attractions that lie in wait for travellers below the earth's surface. That's disappointing. An everyday tale of UK transport, if ever there was one. Uh, but there is a topical reason for that recording, isn't there, Simon? What we called a peg when I worked in radio, though I don't know if they still do. I think they do, Mick, and there certainly is, because it's 50 years ago this month that the Victoria Line was completed. And that southern terminus, Brixton in South London, uh, was the final part of the uh, jigsaw. And of course, these days, Victoria Line is absolutely the busiest on the entire underground system. Of course, Brixton itself really put on the map in every sense by being the uh, end of the line. And this was the first new tube line that had been open for 50 years in London. It was even going to be extended south. I'm sorry, Mick, to Streatham. But they decided that actually the um, I think the clay of South London was so difficult to get through, they would just stop at Brixton. Yeah, well, we're still waiting for the uh, the, the tube uh, line to reach us in Streatham. But I suppose the clay explains uh, why it is I find it so difficult to um, do any gardening. It's a good <laughs> excuse, isn't it? Um, following on from our podcast a couple of weeks ago about uh, which city has the best square... Linda W.S. has put in a vote for Plaza Grande, Independence Square in Quito, which ah. she says is small, lively, always good for a celebration or a protest. And uh, in the southwest corner um, has a delightful post office and a superb hot chocolate cafe, a very good place to write postcards. Or perhaps record podcasts. I look forward to um, a, a trip over there sometime soon. Uh, Quito, uh, a gorgeous old city, and that is a really good call. Well, I haven't been there, but I probably propose um, uh, the main square in Cusco in Peru as a very worthy opponent. But anyway, do send us in uh, your suggestions for uh, the best city square. And in fact, if we're talking about... Uh, Quito and Cusco may be the world's highest and best city square, as they're both way up in the clouds. I think Cusco wins it 3,400 metres high. That's uh, over 11,000 feet. And I think they're probably a thousand or two feet uh, higher than Quito. Both of them gorgeous cities, though. And both of them will take your breath away. That's what I mostly remember about about Cusco. Anyway, um, Linda uh, WS goes on to say, love the podcast. Very soothing. Sparked (laughs) memories. So many adventures. Well, that's nice, isn't it? Well, it is, yes. Good bedtime listening. (laughs) Well, that's good to know. And Elspeth Berry actually woke up answered our call for people to leave an audio message at anchor.fm forward slash you should have been there. 
Hi, thanks very much for your You Should Have Been There podcast. But um, on the last episode, when you talked about due diligence, you talked about what the UK requires us to do when we get back and what some countries might require us to do to get there. But you didn't mention a couple of other problems. One is that some travel companies like Jet2 are cancelling even ambulance trips. So we could go, but the tour company is stopping us going. But also the Foreign and Commonwealth Office says we can't go to some countries that are advising us against all but essential travel to some countries or parts of countries that are on the amber list, which means one, some companies that do fly to amber countries like TUI are cancelling trips to those particular countries or bits of countries. Two, your travel insurance isn't valid. And three, it's another complication to check. Complication indeed, Elspeth, and this summer travel is never going to be easy. If I can separate these two things out, Jet2 as well as TUI as well as EasyJet have been cancelling an awful lot of departures simply because they look at their forward bookings with a month to go. They realise that there's only half a dozen people and they've paid almost nothing to go on those. And they think, well, are we going to sell the rest? No, we're probably not. And they just cancel those departures uh, generally Uh, dozens at a time. It's very annoying for everybody who's been booked on them. But what we've seen over the past few days, uh, since it is now legal, or it will be for people to come back in and not quarantine from ambulance countries if they've been doubly jabbed in the UK, foreign vaccinations do not count, um, is reinstating services. And then a lot of complaints I'm getting of people saying, actually, you 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 cancelled our flight, um, and now you put it back on and you're charging double the fare, um, which does sound like a mean trick. I, it's not quite happening oh, like dear. that. But on the Foreign Office advice, yes, we've had this ludicrous situation for um, over a year where the Foreign Office has been effectively issuing blanket warnings against going abroad pretty much anywhere because of the high rates of uh, COVID-19. They are now removing those very quickly ahead of that uh, uh, 19th of July um, moment when at least coming back into the to England, you won't have to quarantine. So I'm not particularly worried about the uh, uh, Foreign Office warnings. I think by the time your trip comes along, hopefully uh, it will be back to normal, which is looking at the overall assessment of, of danger and um, uh, offering an opinion accordingly in the vast majority of the time. It will say, um, yeah, it's, it's uh, low enough risk to go there. But uh, but thank you for your kind message. And of course, anybody can do the same. Just go to anchor.fm forward slash you should have been there and we'd love your audio message. But one quick word of warning, you've only got one minute to record your message. Now, you know, we were talking about uh, topical pegs earlier on, Simon. Um, I'd now like to make uh, what I will put up as a contender for the world's most tenuous uh, scripting link to today's hot topic, um, which is Gareth Southgate. Now, I've got two questions for you about uh, uh, the England football team's um, splendid manager. First of all, what is the connection between you and me and Gareth? Uh, Yes. Well, the only thing I can think of is that Gareth, of course, was brought up in Crawley, um, where I come from, didn't actually go to the same school as me um, and maybe was there just a little bit after I was there. And he used to pay for for Palace, Crystal Palace, your team. Oh, you're absolutely right. Ooh. Yes, indeed. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did. He 
he played uh, he played for um, several years for Crystal Palace and indeed was the club captain and um, much respected in those days as a thinking footballer. Um, now, the second question is, what connects Gareth with our podcast? And I'd be very surprised if you managed to get this one. Well, we're talking about underground railways. And of course, one of the stops on the uh, underground is Southgate, is it not? On the Piccadilly line. Oh, is it really? Well, I, I'm going to have to give you a point for that, although it wasn't at all what I was uh, thinking of. Um, what I was going to say was that um, when Gareth was a youth team player with Palace, the then manager, Alan Smith, didn't think that he was going to make the grade. Um, so he um, took him aside after one game and suggested that he might like to think of uh, an alternative career, uh, maybe travel agent. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's very very funny no um that, well uh, ha, ha, what, a, what a splendid tale but um no if you if you want to go to Southgate station it's i believe one stop short of um uh cockfosters on the uh, northern end of the piccadilly line and well worth um a, an adventure not least because it's a beautiful art deco uh, station, as many of them are in that part of the line, as they are in the um, western reaches of the uh, central line, because that's where development took place in the 1930s. And we were ahead of the game, weren't we, uh, in London with Underground Railways? Yes, 1865, the very first one. This was from Paddington in the West. Of course, a big, important railway terminus even then, across to Farringdon on the uh, edge of the city of London. Uh, that is still there. You can ride exactly the same route that the pioneering underground travellers did. And, of course, everything kind of blossomed from there. And what I love about this is that other great cities around the world have picked up on the idea, but they've all put their own spin on it. That's a recording uh, I made of a, a, a journey uh, on the Buenos Aires subte, the subterraneo, as they call their uh, underground railway system, uh, which was enlivened by um, an absolutely beautiful, I'd say professional performance on a harp of a piece of music by, I think it was uh, Einaudi, but uh, do let us know anyway. And I've got to say, this was an occasion when I really didn't want to get off the train. <laughs> it was so good. Um, but as you were saying before, I think, Simon, they're, they're, all of these uh, underground railways have got something special about them, haven't they? That They have. And there are underground pilgrims who will spend their entire uh, travelling budgets and time going off to explore other people's underground systems. Um, the Paris Metro, I guess, is probably going to be the most familiar. Um, actually, it, it carries more passengers than the London Underground in, in normal times, at least. It's characterised by rubber tyres, which means that it's an awful lot quieter. If you're a harpist and you're looking for a good venue, then I, I recommend <laughs> the uh, Paris Metro. Um 
Other parts of Europe, well, it hasn't quite taken off. Um, Budapest, I love, although I don't love the ticket inspectors who deliberately capitalise on the fact that the ticket machines are almost always either broken or impossible to use and simply go round routinely taking £30 a time off of tourists, but it is a very elegant system. Um, but places like Milan, Barcelona, even even Glasgow have underground systems which seem a bit of an afterthought and don't necessarily take you where you want to be. Um, but they have all got their own atmosphere often very literally and and certainly you know you could put me on a metro platform in paris and the 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 um aroma would be uh extremely intoxicating i wanted to ask you about that because there is actually a, a smell of i think it's burnt rubber isn't it and i presume it comes from the uh from the rubber tires of the trains hot rubber maybe rather than burnt but but quite distinctive yeah, and and I I, I slightly miss the uh, the the added layer of uh, Gaulois cigarettes, which um, previously characterised it. Of course, we we are all in favour of no smoking on any any public transport of any kind at at the moment. Um, going further afield, though, they've done uh, greater things. I just uh, adore the underground railways of the Soviet Union. And I use that geographical term advisedly because in about 1935, the USSR thought, right, we've got to get ahead. We've got to build beneath our great cities um, underground systems. And so they set about it at a scale that that a normal country could not ever have dreamed of. They built these amazing systems in Moscow where it is a work of art as well as one of the top 10 underground Yeah, what, what do you in, actually in, see there, Simon? Sorry to interrupt because um, I've heard this any number of times that these really are works of art. What, what, what actually do the stations look like? <laughs> they range from locations which strike you as, you know, you might have stumbled into... <laughs> Yeah, a, 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 a side palace at Versailles. Such is the glory, the chandeliers, the pillars, the uh, art, the decoration that seems completely out of place with somewhere where you're simply hopping a few stops on the line. Um, and then others are full of, of, of motifs that celebrate the glory and the achievement of the Soviet Union. And that might be looking ahead to the space age. There are um, tours running, of course, of the Moscow Metro. And this was echoed all the way across the USSR from St. Petersburg uh, to Tashkent in Uzbekistan, where you can still see a system which seems to have been designed from the point of view of great art before everything else. You could spend all day, all week, all year uh, just having a look at the uh, artwork that is included in these beautiful metro stations. It's not a particularly extensive system and it won't really take you to many great places, but you just want to be there uh, to enjoy the mosaics, the lighting, the curves of the, the, the stations just designed to enthrall you while you are doing something which most of us would regard as entirely humdrum. And by the way, uh, while, while we're there in Tashkent, obviously, you can also get on the 
only high-speed railway line above ground in Central Asia, which will take you to beautiful Samarkand and then deeper into Bukhara. So any transport fans, Uzbekistan is probably the best place to start or end or both. I've never been there, but... uh... I, uh, I certainly would like to go. And I, re- I remember when we made our uh, famous podcast, uh, probably about number 15 um, uh, in the series, about the stands, getting to know the stands, those um, uh, Central Asian republics, uh, I thought, must go. <laughs> Kazakhstan, the place where the apple tree uh, was born and uh, all kinds of other bizarre and um, interesting facts. But one underground system where I have spent quite a lot of time and indeed have uh, enjoyed my time there immensely is Mexico City. Um, This is a huge, extensive um, network as befits uh, a vast, uh, a vast metropolis. And uh, although the the system unfortunately has been um, marred by that uh, tragic accident on one of the uh, overhead underground lines, if you see what I mean, when that uh, that uh, viaduct collapsed recently, killing quite a few people. Um, the nice thing about this, uh, this system is the pictures, the pictograms that go with each station. Um, apparently, when it was built in the 1960s, the uh, number of people uh, traveling in Mexico City who are actually illiterate was so great that the government decided that they needed uh, uh, recognisable pictures for each of the stations. And uh, they actually hired some uh, American um, uh, graphic designer who's come up with these most beautiful, uh, tiny pictures to encapsulate each station on the uh, on, on the lines. And uh, if you, they're all different colours as well. They're colour-coded. But uh, just to give you an idea, if you haven't been there, there's one obvious one, uh, which is uh, an aeroplane, <laughs> which, uh, which of course is, uh, symbolises the, uh, the airport. Um, but uh, there's one, uh, Merced, which is uh, a major market, um, that station has as its uh, as as its symbol its its pictogram uh, a design of a a wooden crate with uh, six apples uh, on top of it designed as a sort of a 3 a 2 and a 1 in a nice little pyramid that's just a couple of examples but they all really do actually uh, warrant a bit of um, uh, a bit of investigation because uh, they're based on uh, aztec symbolism i mean there's a coyote for example uh, which uh, i think is the symbol for the beautiful garden suburb of coyoacan where you can go to uh, see the house where trotsky the sort of it's a sort of fortress really where Trotsky was uh, was assassinated, uh, and it's also got Frida Kahlo's extraordinary Casa Museo, the the house where she was actually confined to bed for for years and years and years, but uh, carried on painting. Well worth visiting if you are uh, or when you are able to get to Mexico City, one of my absolute favourite capitals anywhere in the world. But London underground has always been really at the forefront of art or at least design and there's a 200 page manual you can find it very easily um, online of exactly how you have to put together uh, these various symbols uh, to ensure that people can 
negotiate their way around the system. And it's the best example anywhere on earth of a symbolic map actually being very, very confusing if you try to follow above ground, because, of course, it is entirely uh, designed if you happen to be in South Woodford uh, to allow you to get to Brixton. And the terrain you are passing under is of no interest. But, well, maps can be misleading. Some of the stations appear to be very close together and they're miles apart. Others, well, you think, well, I'm not going to walk that. And in fact, you could do so in five or ten minutes. Ah, yes. Um, and of course, uh, that reminds me of the fact that in Paris and uh, and Madrid, uh, you get stations which um, appear uh, to be a single station where you connect with another line. And actually, <laughs> you've got to walk about two miles to uh, underground to get to it. Uh, so um, you always have to uh, beware those sort of things. Uh, do you know, there's something I miss about uh, the uh, London Underground, and that's the poetry on the tube. I thought that was an absolutely brilliant idea. And uh, I wish there was uh, more of it. Well, I'm sure it will come back. And of course, if you have any um, great um, poems that you would like to celebrate or great underground uh, systems, then you you are very welcome to share them with us. Uh, can I talk about America's undergrounds? This, of course, is a, a country that is really devoted, uh, worships the motor car, and yet they have got some very distinctive, very unusual uh, underground systems. I'm thinking of New York, which is big and tough and brutal and ugly and in desperate need of overhaul. But yeah, it's work. So it works. So why fix it? It seems to be the attitude. You've got the concept of express trains. And these are, well, quite a lot of the lines have four tracks and the fast trains will skip a whole number of stations to get people out to uh, Long Island or wherever they are going very quickly. Um, just up the coast in Boston, it's utterly different. It's a kind of 19th century system, but on top of which has been overlaid all sorts of um, uh, 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 interesting things, such as the fact that you can uh, take a, a metro train, which sort of suddenly becomes a tram once you get above ground and it just rattles along the street along with everything else. And they are now building new tunnels in particular, the silver line, which sounds like a really good uh, tube line that you'd like to be on. But in fact, it's just a tunnel under which buses go to and from the airport. But if you are going into Boston, flying into the airport, ignore all other ways of getting um, into the city. Just get the uh, silver line bus. Not only will it take you free into the city, it will also let you have one free change of, of train to anywhere you might want to go to. And then the, in the opposite direction from New York, you've got Washington, which is just... Uh, a, 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 anybody who's been lucky enough to go there will know it's a very un-American city. There are no great high-rises. Um, and yet they've got this really good underground system, very 1970s um, and very effective at, at connecting it all so um, lots lots to be seen and, and to be done and uh, of course once you get into east asia well these are the busiest the ones in um, in tokyo in seoul in uh, guangzhou beijing shanghai those are handling billions of passengers each of them every year and uh, doing doing a fantastic job and um, 
rather more friendly, I find, for a British traveller there than perhaps the London Underground is for a Chinese or a Japanese or a Korean visitor here. All the uh, signs and announcements are in English, so you're not going to get lost. Well, there are, of course, all sorts of other uh, underground attractions for the traveller. They include catacombs and uh, churches and caves. Um, We were talking, in fact, about um, cenotes uh, only uh, the other day, those um, brilliant uh, uh, underground um, swimming places in uh, in southern Mexico, uh, but I think uh, we've probably gone on long enough, don't you think, <laughs> Simon, about underground things? But we will definitely um, talk about them uh, at a later date, and and maybe you'd like to get in touch uh, with us about your favourite uh, uh, underground tourist attraction and uh, why it is so uh, interesting to you. Just just get in touch via Twitter at you should have BT. Or you can leave a message for us on the uh, anchor.fm forward slash you should have been there uh, system. Uh, again, maximum one minute, but that will enable you to tell us about your great underground attractions. You could also tell us about your favorite underground network or indeed station and why it's important to you. And look, we also really want to hear from you ahead of next week's program. Mick is going to indulge me because I've just spotted. This week, it's the 50th anniversary of my first passport. So we want to talk about first steps abroad. The first time you ever left these shores, where you went, what you did, how it felt. So again, tweet us at you should have BT or leave a message at anchor.fm forward slash you should have been there. And we can't wait to hear your stories about those first steps abroad. Well, I gather you're going to be um, talking to us if we manage to establish a link from um, from northern France. Is is, is that right? Yep. Uh, very first trip was a school one from New Haven in Sussex across to Dieppe. I'm very much hoping to replicate that trip. Vaccinations, tests and general kerfuffle permitting. And uh, I will be uh, rambling on, possibly um, again, (laughs) um, about my first trip abroad, which was to Spain in, am I allowed to mention this this year, 1966, or am I tempting fate? (laughs) Yes, were there any other great events that year? Let me think. (laughs) And on that note of tension and bated breath from me, Mick Webb. And me, Simon Calder. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.